0: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Rui, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Dan Feldman of Dunked on Prime and the Daily Dunks, and Dan's a great guest for this, I mean, he's a great guest all the time, but a great guest for this window where we talked about the NBA Finals, takeaways from Game 1, where the series could move beyond that, a little bit of big picture on Denver and Miami, but then also the coaching carousel and some off-season topics as well, because... June is that, is that transition point of the culmination of one season and the beginning of the offseason and the draft, of course, as well. So we get into all that. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. You can go to FanDuel.com Boston and get a no-sweat-first bet of up to $1,000. This episode runs a little bit under an hour. Lots of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We're recording this on Friday, after game 1 of the nba finals occurred last night and i think there's more pressure or like more inclination to overreact than underreact to a game 1 of a series especially a final series was there anything that you took away from game 1 that you're like oh this is this is really going to shape where we go from here
1: i think the nuggets have been better than the Heat all year, a better team overall. They were better in the regular season. I think they've been better throughout the playoffs, as good as Miami has been in the playoffs. I think if you just look at these teams of what they've been, the Nuggets are the better team. Sometimes different matchups happen. Sometimes uh, it's more complicated than that. But I I guess my biggest takeaway from Game 1 is the Nuggets still look like the better team, and it looks like that's going to matter a lot.
0: It's also kind of along those lines, the idea that you can't, it's very, very difficult, if not functionally impossible, to put out all of the fires that they cause when Denver's on offense. Because the amount of attention that Jokic necessitates, if that's extra eyeballs, that's extra physical position. And A, he's such a good passer, and B, they have other really good players that... You're going to do it. Now, it's not going to be Aaron Gordon layups and dunks every time. It wasn't after the first quarter, but it's going to be something. And I had thought about it for the series. It's part of why I picked. And I said this on, on the dunked on pod preview that I was like, I was close to picking the series in five. And it's out of respect for the heat and everything they they've and their coaching and their players that I went with six. I still think that I still think that that's some of the tension there. But you did see part of the idea that Denver's so good offensively and Miami they're, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of some of those series that the modern Raptors have played where it's like, "Oh crap, they just need to be consistent on offense." Oh great, you're asking them to do the thing that's maybe <laughs> the hardest for them to do.
1: Yeah, the Heat's offense was was very disappointing. I thought they could have put more stress on Denver. Uh, Jimmy Butler in particular was passive might be a little strong but not as aggressive as the heat need him to be I think um, passive
0: is fair personally
1: yeah i mean i I say I guess when I think passive, I think maybe not having the ball as much trying to go get the ball and there was a degree of that but a lot of times it was when he had the ball even times where he still shot like settling for for jumpers when I thought he could have pressured the rim um yeah they were just uh the, i mean what look at bam out of bios? when he ended up with 25 shots um I think a lot of times the heat need Bam Adebayo to be more aggressive but even him a lot of those shots weren't he wasn't playing with the force I'd like to see from him offensively I know this is like a long standing gripe this is not a, a new thing um but then he could still get up 25 shots and not often enough uh, play with the force be settling for you know short mid-range jumpers some of which are good shots some of which are kind of eh. Um yeah, I, I do think there there's a lot more room for the Heat offense to return some of that pressure. And here is the front you mentioned Aaron Gordon in the first quarter. This was a frustrating thing for Miami. The idea of, okay, you're going to go small, you're gonna have this disadvantage, you're gonna be the smaller team, you're gonna have this disadvantage against Aaron Gordon and he he exploited that great great for him but you got to make him pay on the other end if you're going smaller and you're not getting more offensive skill out there uh to make him pay on the other end I, that was uh you're you're not getting the trade off at all that that was something that really backfired for him i mean that, that won't necessarily be the case next time like uh you know max Strus isn't always going to shoot oh for nine on threes duncan robinson isn't always going to shoot one for five on threes uh but in this game, the trade off just was not there at all.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a completely reasonable way to put it. And what I've struggled with, you know, kind of going for, I, I, I like that you brought up, like with Jimmy. And I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, Bam, that was a career high in terms of field goal attempts in a game for him. Um, it was something that uh, a listener, uh, a viewer, I guess is the right word, noted on playback, and then went back and looked, and, and he was at the precipice then, and then got, of course, got over it. And I. I mean, our colleague Seth Partner knows Play Better Adjustment is obviously going to be a part of this story. But like I, I brought up this idea briefly and I think it's it's where I'm leaning right now is the the idea of like where the equilibrium is in the series. I think it's hard to argue against the concept that it, this was a more positive result for Denver than the average. But how much more positive is a key question.
1: Yeah, I think it was, well, when when you say uh, than average, than the average expectation or the or than the average uh, baseline of, of what these teams actually are?
0: Both, but you're right that it could, like, so, I mean, I could see this as, you could make an argument that on a neutral court, this is a Denver plus three series, let's say. Or I guess it would be minus with the way odds work. Denver three-point favorites. <laughs> And then if you add in home court and then you add in the rest advantage, like it, with the final result, it actually gets kind of closer to that. But I would be, you know, I'd you could persuade me to say that it's more like a Denver five point favorite series or something like that. And then you do get closer.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and then on top of it, as we're forecasting out uh, now, the Heat have to win four out of six, not four out of seven. Like Denver banking one is a giant deal um yeah i'll just go back to i think the nuggets are, are the better team i i will say i think the heat can defend better i think the heat are an incredibly tough and resilient team i don't think they're going to uh uh back down you 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 and nate talked a good a bit on on uh dunkdown about uh whether the heat were correct to kind of unveil their, their different defensive strategy late and uh was it worth it, right? In a game where it looked like, yeah, it's going to be tough to come back, and do you want to save this for game two? But on the other hand, you also want to know whether it's going to work. You want to get a sense of it, but you let the Nuggets prepare now too. And and my main thought is, yeah, it was late to come back, but did you see some of those comebacks against the Bucks? Like this team is not out of it. They don't. And and, and, Den- and Denver gave up some leads too. Yes, yes, great point. Um, and, and so I I think the Heat will have all those things going in their favor, uh, but it's just really really hard to overcome. Being the lesser team Like how often do we look back At a play, any playoff series But especially in the NBA Finals it, And say like you know what I think, uh, I think the lesser team One, Uh, you know, I'd say 2016 uh, when the I I, I know the result, I give the Cavs all the credit for it. But I think the I still think the Warriors were the better team. I think 2019 was debatable. I think uh, the Warriors were more vulnerable than people think. And the the Raptors were better than people think. Maybe that series is a toss up to me in hindsight uh, in terms of who's the better team. So I'm not I'm not necessarily counting that one as where the lesser team won, but it's, it's rare. So that I think I mean look, at, it's also possible. It's also possible we see the rest of the series and say, you know what, that was one game, and then we go, you know what, we were wrong. The Heat actually, at this moment in June 2023, regardless of whatever everything that happened before. Like, we understand that using that as context, but seeing where these teams are, we might end the series thinking the Heat are the better team. But at this point, I'd be very surprised by that. I think the Heat can win the series, but actually getting to a point where we view them as being better than the Nuggets, uh, I'd be surprised, though I don't think it's impossible.
0: I like that framing of it, and I, I, I think that the the better team versus the winning team is it's nuance it's nuancey, but it's good nuance. And uh, I mean, the other thing that can change things obviously is, is injury. But another takeaway that I had from game one, and this is not exactly new, is Jamal Murray's relative size. You know, like that he's a being being a little bit bigger. I think that that works reasonably well. I don't know if that's why Jimmy Butler wasn't hunting him as aggressively as I thought was going to be a huge through line in the series, and I still think is going to be a huge through line in the series. But like Denver has, despite having generally like mediocre rim protection, so MPJ may, may have one of the better rim protecting games I've ever seen from him in game one, they have really good positional size kind of all around. And they have players like Contavious Caldwell-Pope who, and Bruce Brown, when he plays, who can defend kind of above their listed height because they're strong. And that gives... Miami not only fewer places to attack, but it gives Denver some places to attack Miami. It's not, as I mentioned, going to be Aaron Gordon every time, but they have these different kind of like smaller level competitive advantages. But the bigger reason that matters is because Jokic, not only is he a competitive advantage even in and of himself, but one of his best attributes is his ability to identify and time out when the best time to strike on that is. And so, like, it, he wasn't making the passes to Murray or to Gordon or to MPJ when they were in a bad spot. Like, it's, it's sort of like a, a good quarterback, or you could draw comparisons in pretty much any other sport that's more collaborative, of putting your teammates in a position to succeed.
1: I'm glad you brought up Denver's size. I don't think this is uh, breaking news to everyone, but I, I do think overall there's still some lingering misunderstanding of how modern basketball has changed. There, there was talk, I don't know, let's say circa 2015, a lot of this was with Draymond Green at center, of uh, the trend was going small. Teams were going smaller, going smaller. We heard that. But that was just a shorthand for, for describing what was really happening. Teams were going more towards skill and and quickness, but, but especially skill and shooting. And uh, at that time, a lot of the bigs, they couldn't shoot. They couldn't dribble. They, they weren't as skilled. And so the way to get more skilled was to go smaller. But it wasn't about being shorter. There was no actual advantage to being shorter. It's still basketball. Like, go out and play basketball. You play with taller people, you're at a disadvantage. You play with shorter people, you're at an advantage. Basketball height matters. And so I think in these last few years, we've we've seen this new revolution where the big players are getting more skilled. Uh, you know, we we talk about Aaron, Aaron Gordon, right? Like he fills this role on the Nuggets. Uh, but look what look what he at least dabbled in. With with the magic for somebody who's who's like the quote unquote energy hustle guy, he is incredibly skilled. Well, he's an incredibly good shooter for that role, for that archetype.
0: He's not the same physically as he was then, but Michael Porter Jr. was one of my favorite on-ball players <laughs> above six foot eight ever when he was yeah. in high school. And so what is
1: he, what is he not like six ten, six eleven? Like having this size, he's so skilled. Like having so Denver is like the prototype of Nikola Jokic in, in a lot of ways as a point guard. And and we know what his size is. So th- the Nuggets are reaping the size advantages without losing on skill. I do think maybe this team uh, gives up a little bit in speed uh, where, where some of the smaller teams or what we would have described as the shorthand of the smaller team where, where those teams focus a little more on speed. I don't know if the Heat are going to be the team to take advantage of that. So it's not exactly perfect. But I, I think in a copycat league, if the Nuggets win, that's kind of going to be one of the big takeaways is we can have size and skill
0: absolutely and one other potential takeaway from this series and this could be potentially like an exception an exception that makes a new rule which is for a long time i've had this idea then part of the reason i've believed in like the the value of defense is because you could think about the the idea that how situations both the improved opponent talent and scheming and everything else like how that puts pressure on a team's offense and so that means that you know you need to defend at a high level doesn't mean like my my theory has always been that you need to be elite on one end and at least pretty good ideally very good on the other but it had been for me like it's better in some ways if that's on defense the very the elite because that travels and everything else what Denver could be doing here and this i think of this this might be you know I, it's funny you brought up draymond of like the the element that all these teams try to copycat and absolutely fail is jokic might just be so good offensively and especially with like you compare his size to stephen curry's or one of these other uh, luka or anybody else is that maybe it does work the other way maybe if you're so good offensively that even the best teams can't slow you down enough that your defense can be pretty good and at times very good, and you can totally make it work. And I've been skeptical of those teams. It's a part of why I haven't been as outright about it as as Nate has, in part because of this idea that the game is always changing, that it's better, especially for a center, to be you know great defensively than offensively. But we might be seeing a... I, I probably it would be a temporary paradigm shift the other way.
1: All right. So let me, let me, let me challenge you on, on this and uh, you, you are correct. You have not been as far out on that line of thinking as Nate. And uh, to me, to that's so what I'd rather pose this question to Nate, but I, I think you guys are congruent on this. So I, I'm curious, your answer. Sure. Um, I, I, I don't want to stop me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, but it, you, you said a lot of skepticism about winning winning it all with a player like Jokic because of his defensive limitations. Um and I think I saw this might have been in his Discord chat for Dunked On Prime subscribers the other day. I saw Nate say something recently, um uh, along the lines of, you know, I, I I saw it, you had to have your best player a different way, a, a big you know superstar wing or or Steph Curry at guard like a shooter like that. We could have the defense behind him. um But but um, the game has changed enough where somebody like Jokic can be the best player now. And my question is, what's changed? Like, has the game changed? Has the has the style of play changed? Have other teams changed? Have the rules changed? What's changed? Or is it just that they're like if Nikola Jokic came around, you know eight, seven, six years ago at at this level, right? If if he were peaking, if he were uh, at, at this point at then, like why couldn't he have done it then? Or is it just like, hey, the best players happen to be wings, happen to be Steph Curry. Uh, and so that's why why we looked at those players. It just happened not to be a center. Like, was there something systematically preventing this from happening earlier? Or is it just, it happened to be there was no center good enough at that time. And now is Nikola Jokic's time.
0: It's a little bit unfortunate Nate's not here to defend himself, because again, he did go out <laughs> there. And he, part of his argument that he's still making now, which I do not necessarily agree with, is the idea that part of the reason Jokic is viable is because the quality of opponents is worse like the idea that there isn't a team like the Warriors but the part of it that I agree with is there is I brought up that like elite versus very good concept is that a team with Jokic as their center is probably not going to be elite defensively and that's okay and so my what I'm positing is that that doesn't matter as much but and here's the be but if there were a team that could both score, let's call it close to as efficiently as Denver, but had the personnel to also be very good defensively, like you know, peak Warriors. Like would peak Warriors be? Or Nuggets? even last year's Warriors. Last year's Warriors would be a more comp.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean they put they put Jokic in the mix.
0: They put Jokic, but last year's Nuggets were significantly worse than this year's Nuggets because of all the lack the lack of availability. Yes. Yes. I that series game gaming out that series would be tough. Like I, I actually think there's probably more of a chance than some would think that the Nuggets win it. In part because of the criticisms I've levied on Kerr over the years that he's too slow to adjust, and so like the that like it's, I you could see like the Warriors not going to their best stuff really early, and that creating huge problems. But to answer your basic question, the big one of the big things that changed is is me and the way that i think about these and so that that would that have worked yes if you didn't have a historical anomaly team you know like what what to me the big thing
1: yeah is is i think the 15 to 18 warriors were an all-time great team you can't just say like oh to win a title you always need to beat a team like that exactly and so
0: so here's the here's the game that we haven't played that i think is the most compelling what about this year's nuggets against that era's cavaliers teams so we're taking out yeah. the historic anomaly team. The Cavs were damn good. And like, you yeah. know, they did and they won a championship during the time they had an all-time player in LeBron for most of those years and we shouldn't include the non Kyrie year anyway cuz the Cavs weren't as good then. And it's hard. It's funny because Kevin Love is theoretically on both of both this year's heat and <laughs> those Cavs teams and didn't play at all. It's also a worse Kevin Love now than it was then. My inclination is that those Cavs teams couldn't have stopped this Nuggets team. And it would have been so basically the question would have been and those Cavs teams had, you know, they they could pick up their defense. Like it wasn't always every possession of the regular season, but they could get there. But yeah. Jokic is he puts the strain he puts on each individual defender, and more specifically, in some ways, your help defenders like that was never something i loved about cleveland like the idea of like they had guy you know they had some guys to do, And lebron of course unbelievable and he would have been able to function potentially as more of a rover as he did at times in those series against the warriors like i mean the stretch it, one of the most underappreciated things about LeBron James is his defense in games 4 through 7 of that 2016 series yeah. um rather than the offense which was of course unbelievable i think that's a tough series to predict and remember these are basically contemporary teams like it's the the league is different now but it's not that different what do you think about that
1: yeah that's interesting i i think um Whoever wins the championship this year is not necessarily the weakest champion ever, but on the scale of these things, a relatively weak team, just how things shook out. Not to take anything away from them. Please don't take it that way. I give all the credit to, uh, you know, you win a title, you win a title, right? And I I'm gonna make a brief aside before I answer your question. I think especially as we go toward parody, but I've, I've thought this before, uh, there's a lot of value in being really, really good year after year after year. Are the Nuggets going to be the best champion ever? No. But they. this is not their first year of being really, really good. Um, you, you keep giving yourself chances. Some year you might win a title. So that works out for you. Uh, as far as your question, I don't know. I think it's close. So I think the Nuggets or Heat, if they win, would be on the lower end of quality of team for an NBA champion. I also think the Cavaliers uh, of that era would be on the higher end of, of a team for that didn't win a championship. Uh, so I think you cross those, and they're pretty close. Um, but I, I think that gets to your larger point of, hey, if we're kind of considering that somewhere near a toss-up uh, – that that probably gives more credence to a, a team built like the Nuggets with a player like Jokic, although I don't know how much we can say a player like Jokic, he's he's unique. With Jokic. Um a team like that is championship worthy. I thought those Cavaliers teams were championship worthy. They did. Sure. They won one of the four. Um except AT. No, no no, see i i disagree i mean overall during the season that that team had a lot of problems, but wasn't it maybe I'm getting this crossed up but wasn't it in 2018 in game one that was the j r. Smith game that was 2018 oh
0: it right? might have been i, I might mean, be was incredible there like, were, were so many back, there were they played so many years in a row, I might be crossing them up.
1: So, so 2018 was like the worst regular season. I think that was the year they were like a four seed. But by the time they got to the finals and LeBron was ready and he knew what the challenge was in front of him. And to get that team in – like he broke his hand after the game. He punched the, the whiteboard. So it wasn't quite the same. But just even one game against that awesome, awesome Warriors team to get that game to overtime, uh, I, I think that 2018 team was uh, right up there with 17. And uh, maybe a small step behind 15, although maybe up there with 15.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to consider. I was also thinking about this. This is another one of those brain breakers. This Nuggets team against the 21 Bucks. Um,
1: <laughs> it's just a, See, to me,
0: yeah. a, a series that very well could have happened if a few things had been... Um, shaken you know had to health wise and everything else
1: and i, I think that's just the larger point yeah I, I i don't know who'd win that we could put them on this on a similar tier I, I think what we're saying though is sometimes there'll be a team like the warriors who are just insanely good and very hard to beat although a uh, brief salute to the rockets for for coming closer uh well i guess the Cavs did beat them too so sure uh, that, that's the, that's to the closest Rocket. anyone kind because they did it Right, right, um, and occasionally there will be a team like that where it just takes everything, and you've got to figure out how to beat that one team and have everything go right, and, and you could do it and play out of right, and it works. Um, but a lot of years, we're talking about a team like the Nuggets, or we're talking about uh, the, the, those Bucks. Or we're talking about that era's Cavs. And it's all just, hey, you can mix and match a little bit and say this matchup or that matchup. And some teams are going to stress some more than others. And uh, some are going to cruise. It's just going to be a little more matchup dependent, a little more luck dependent. And again, I'd want to just be really good year after year after year and give myself multiple chances to catch those right breaks like the Nuggets have done.
0: And that ties in with the idea, and it was the twenty-one Suns that got this idea of like the the team that has it's the healthiest team in the mix, and so there's value to being in the mix every year, being a viable being a viable team because you never know how things are going to shake out. That could be you face unhealthy opponents like the the Suns did during their run to the to the to the NBA finals, and pot, we thought maybe more in the NBA finals, except Giannis was able to come back and be so awesome, or it could be. Opponents get knocked out. And whether that's because in a case like Miami, where they got outplayed or there was bad luck or anything else that happens, like that the one of the weirder examples of that that didn't end up materializing was like Philly facing the Hawks. It's just that the Hawks beat them. That (laughs) that can happen too. And so for Denver, and and it 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 will get lost in the shuffle, how because especially due to Jamal Murray's injury, they would have been a more persistent conference finals at minimum team over this early part. I, I I think this might be the early part of their run. I mean, early to middle, um, like it could extend another four or five years. You, you never know. It can end at any time, but it could also, I mean, when you have a, a generational talent, it can run a long time too. Um, so that like, the beginning of it won't look as strong focusing on results because they weren't whole for a lot of that time and that's the way things go like it's not, it's not it's just it's more just a lingering perception it's sort of like when a player misses some games and doesn't make an all-NBA team and so you don't think they like in, years later you're like oh was were they that good that year and it's like yeah they were they just missed some time um so i think that's that's a part of it but yeah, where this team fits in with the other champions is if they get there is such a fascinating question.
1: Yeah, it's interesting whether this is early in the run or not. I mean, look at they—they they made the conference finals in uh, 2020, and I think a lot of people chalk that up as fluky. But uh, you know, in the last few years, more often than not, they've won at least one playoff series, and. Uh, you know, they, they've sometimes run into teams that give them trouble because because I do still think, despite all the success, Nikola Jokic does have some real defensive flaws that the right teams that, that are good enough can take advantage. Now, that's, that's what you want to do. I think this is what you're getting to uh, earlier on, was the nuggets have just become so good that the number of teams that both are good enough to beat denver and can play a style to beat denver you shrink it right you right. use right it's right it's not you can't just have a rum-dum team play the style that that gives Jokic trouble that's not going to be enough you've got to be good and play that style so it, it's just narrowing the odds you run into one of those teams um yeah this team is fairly young and uh You know, I I wrote about this in the dunks yesterday. Um, I don't don't know if you had a a chance to read this or look at my trivia question going in. But yeah, there have been very few coaches who've taken as long as Michael Malone has on a job to get to the NBA Finals. This team still seems behind him. They still seem to, uh, by all accounts, like believe in his message, listen to his message. Like, uh, you know, I I don't think it's just him ruling with an iron fist, but the coach is a natural leadership role. And uh, for him to maintain this message this long and have everybody buy in without them seeing it, it pays off with a trip to the finals without them knowing they could get that until now uh, you know I, I think he's set up to be there very long term uh, however the, i guess i suppose if they blow this series uh, th- that could bring in a lot of questions but if they win uh, i think he's set up to be there a long time and uh you know yokich is it does not seem to be the type of star looking to move he's locked in like th- this team is uh is built to last pretty well
0: They are, and we'll see if ownership is willing to spend or how much that actually matters because they have a lot of their guys locked in for a while now and the cap is going to move up, you know, move up enough to give them some breathing room. I I hope they're willing to, especially if they're a a championship-caliber team that may win a championship in, let's call it, a week or two weeks' time. Plenty more to discuss with Dan Feldman, but first a message from FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. I think it's really cool that they have the combination now of team-specific stuff. Sure, you can do the over-unders and and all that, but also player props. And player props can be a fun way if you think, oh, this is a great matchup for Jokic or whatever player that you can get. I mean, Jamal Murray has his ups and downs. You can do all that through FanDuel, and that's why there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit Fanduel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's Fanduel.com slash Boston, B-O-S-T-O-N. Fanduel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 and over in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at Fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Fanduel's offerings... Online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. 1-888-789-7777. Or visit ccpg.org slash chat. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. 877 770 stop gamblinghelplinema.org, or you can call 1-800-327-5050 for 24/7 support in Massachusetts visit mdgamblinghelp.org 1-877-8hope and y or text hope and y 1-800-522-4700 or visit 1800gambler.net Let's go. You brought up like championship coaches and Michael Malone security. Let's go to the, the coaching carousel. I don't want to dwell on this in part because it's a lot of discussion in the abstract. Um, what stood out to you now with Frank Vogel getting hired on Friday with the Phoenix Suns? Is, are there any of these hires that really stand out to you as being interesting,
1: as being impactful? Well, the Monty Williams hire in Detroit is, uh, I mean, just so impactful in terms of of the coaching market for him to get that type of contract is just, uh, I I think it's going to recalibrate everything. Um, I mean, that's just so huge.
0: It's I mean, and and when we saw the the money that Ishbia ended up having to pay to Vogel to functionally replace Monty Williams like that, that at least it didn't adjust it. Then it might take, you know, there are situations like this where you the last hire, like the last big hire is ends up being the big one. So it takes a year for the market to recalibrate, Um, though we could see some extension negotiations for coaches that shift in tenor a little bit based on on this. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Also worth noting that coach salaries are distinctly not public a lot of the time or distorted or or whatever else is there. Like it's not there isn't a, you know, Spotrack or whatever, all the other ones that have existed public and non-public with coaches the same way. Um, Williams, the other the reason why I was really encouraged by it. I mean, I was surprised he wasn't more firmly in the mix with the Sixers is he is a much better coach than I expected the Pistons to hire. And I don't know that the benefits of having a much better coach will be as present early on, but they could be. Like The I, it, the question that I'm fixated on now with Detroit, and of course this is before their offseason and Troy Weaver could change their direction in about five <laughs> different ways between now and then, is – I I like the idea of Monty Williams being having this long of a contract and having the incentive to build this foundation. And they have a, a great young player in Cade Cunningham and a lot of other interesting pieces that hopefully we will get a better evaluation of now that they have Monty Williams in the fold. So how much changes right away and whether it's the having a long-term coach, like you could think about Brad Stevens was the last person, it appears, to have gotten a contract this long as a new hire, um, does that give the Pistons more or less latitude to be patient? Because they gave Bogdanovich an extension, so but he is very tradable on that if they wanted to. Alec Burks, I presume they're going to pick up his team option. They could keep him. They could trade him. And I don't know how to interpret the data points that we have right now, but I'm also extremely confident that we will... Inter- be able to interpret those data points in, let's call it a week uh,
1: let's call it a month are you are you sure cuz they kept insisting that they're being totally patient while doing things like signing Kelly Olinick and signing Mason Plumley and trading for Alec Burks like I- I don't know. They send mixed messages, so I, d- I don't know if we'll have a clear vision. But I, I, I don't think this changes the patient's plan. I think uh, I think they want to see steps forward next year toward you know really really competing for the postseason, and they you know that probably includes the play-in tournament. I don't think they're going to overreact to you know if they lose in the play-in tournament. I think they'd see that as a sign of progress. And depending how it goes, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. Right? If, if that's driven by uh, Bagdanovich and Alec Burks and older players. And you're losing in the play-in tournament, that's probably not great. If it's driven by Kate Cunningham and Jalen Dern and, uh, and Ivy, that's fantastic. Um, I I think um, just a, above Monty Williams, and really to a degree above Torrey Weaver, you've got an owner in Tom Gores who hasn't won there. You've got a fan base that is... Very fair weather um, and has disengaged as the team has continued to lose, but also there are no other winners in the city and and would come. When I say fair weather, that's just not negative. It's also a very strong fan base when the team is winning even a little bit. That would come back in droves if the team starts to win. So I I just think there's an organizational readiness to win. And Monty Williams is a good coach, so he can help with that. And I don't think they're going to try and do it at all expenses. I think there's still some desire to to develop those young players. And Monty Williams, again, should be able to help with that too.
0: The other coaching hire, and this one will be more in season that I'm really focusing on is Nick Nurse with Philly, because there are so many elements that we think of as like a coach is calling Carter, this is what they've done, that we don't really get the opportunity to see whether that was context dependent, or that was the coach. And with Nick Nurse, highly regarded, even if some of the shine has come off since 2019. Getting to be a part of a dramatically different roster, Joel Embiid and everyone else, whether it includes James Harden or not, this is a very different set of players than what he had in Toronto at any point in time. So how much of what we've seen tactically from Nick Nurse is... Well, you have this bunch of, you know, six foot seven rangy wings that also can't really do a lot with the ball in their hands are or like, or, or, you know, not dynamic offensively. How much of that is nurse adjusting to his personnel and how much of that is the way he wants to play? And he'll try to do that with Philly.
1: It goes both ways, too, because, you know, these these 76ers players, especially Joel Embiid and James Harden, how much do they play how they've played because that's what their coaches ask of them? Or how malleable are they? Uh, it starts sure. with a willingness, but then there's also an ability. Um, yeah, the, the these 76ers have looked very different than Nurses Raptors teams. And uh, I'm curious how much bend there is in both directions. Absolutely.
0: On the malleability front, we'll probably... Again, another thing that we'll probably never get an answer for because I don't think it's a significant factor in the equation is how Nick Nurse changes James Harden's thought process. Like, Is it a circumstance? A, he's a championship level coach, he, but he asks a lot of his players and we don't necessarily know how much freedom Harden would get. And does that change things? Does it not? Is it you know a new opportunity? It's not Doc Rivers. It sounds like that relationship was not the best. But generally speaking, my experience on these things, having projected successfully and unsuccessfully key free agents decisions a lot over the years, both in mock-off season form and otherwise, is generally that's not a key determinant in why a player chooses a destination.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will say this about Nick nurses he's not Doc Rivers. So I think that uh, that helps for keeping Harden and Philly. Beyond that, yeah, um, I don't know. Um you could definitely see Nurse wanting a style that asks more of Harden to exert to exert himself more to move more without the ball to you know uh, and and Harden resisting that. You could also see Nurse's communication problems late in Toronto and Harden being wary of of that. Uh, but on the other hand, you could also see Harden saying, "My best chance to win a championship is continuing to play with Joel Embiid." for a coach who's already won a championship. Um.
0: Okay. One last question on this front. And you could argue it's a little bit unfair, but I don't care. Um, As a as somebody who watches the whole nba and cares about whatever you want to prioritize would you rather have harden on the sixers for the next three years of the rockets rockets
1: why rockets for, for sure so i am a far bigger believer than you and nate and i enjoy it like i enjoy when a team has an identity with players built up over time james harden is a stranger on the 76ers he is at home on the rockets i understand he left but coming back and and, and first of you know so that's number. Number one. You know, I love Damian Lillard on the Trailblazers. I like Bradley Beal on the Wizards. Like, I don't get more enjoyment necessarily by seeing, like, Bradley Beal on a better team. You know, I I like that he's doing what he can to help the Wizards, and I love Damian Lillard uh, doing what he can, whatever he can to drag up the Trailblazers, because if it works, like, if somehow you overcome the odds, it is so satisfying, it's so gratifying uh, of a way to win. Look at Dirk in 2011 and Giannis with the Bucks. Like, those were some of the most awesome individual championships i've seen so i i like that um on top of that i think it'd be a cool experiment with with harden uh you know trying to to accelerate the rockets timeline a little bit and how they handle that with all their young players um you know, they could, they could go a couple different ways. They could say, look at, we're just going to try and be how much ever better we could be with Harden and let these young players grow on their timeline. They could try and flip some of those young players to, to be on Harden's timeline. I think both of those would be reasonable depending on what, you know, returns are available. Um, and then Philadelphia, you know, Daryl Morey, all time, great GM. I think he's at his best. when he has a lot of room to tinker. Um, so if you just say, Hey, you know, you've got not a complete blank slate, but far more of a blank slate around Joel Embiid, uh, Uh, Go ahead and and work your magic and try and work around the margins and build this team back up. I think that'd be super interesting. Uh, For me, it's definitely more interesting with him in Houston.
0: I agree with you, but the biggest reason why is one that you I know you thought of but you didn't mention, which is I just don't think the Sixers with Harden are good enough to do what I want. Like there
1: I I'm, I disagree. I'm what? I disagree. Yeah, I just I don't. think this this is what we were talking about with with the Nugget like I mean it looks it's easy to say for the Nuggets now that there were, you know, three games from a championship. But when I talk about being in the mix year after year after year, like I think that's where the 76ers are with, with Harden and Embiid and, then beat, and it, it hasn't gone well. And so like sometimes when you're in the mix, you're going to be the team where it goes poorly over and over until it doesn't. Uh, I think that that team is good enough and,
0: have have this perfect but i'm not encyclopedic on this you're far better than i am have the sixers even ever lost to the eventual champion like it doesn't (laughs) it it, it doesn't seem like they're and i'm also just part of it is and and you're right it might be a parallel of the nuggets i just i'm just not a believer in the theory of of that and the the other reason why i support it you you mentioned this but i'll give it a little bit more emphasis the Sixers have an underrated amount of flexibility if Harden leaves over the next couple of years. They could theoretically augment that by negotiating the Harden thing as a sign-in trade, which wouldn't stun me. I mean, they'd probably have to send a small resource to Houston for that purpose, but I don't think it would be like a first-round pick. It would be, you know, maybe a second and a a young player who's vaguely interesting. Not that they need more like Jaden Springers, but, you know, Maybe. And so you do something like that, because whether it's through it, or you even just fold in the other, if Daryl Morey's doing it this July, you fold in the other transaction if you've lined it up. Like, that's the other thing you can do. It could be a totally unrelated one. But the other possibility is that Tobias Harris' contract is aspiring. They actually have very little on their books for twenty four, twenty five. 25 um, They could theoretically just get that player in free agency, and my prediction would be As great as Joel Embiid is, not only because of the age potential, but also the skill set meshing. Kind of defensively, offensively, those guys are great together, of course. Um, I think you might be able to get something. I don't know that it ends up being better. Maybe this is sort of like the parallel of you fire a coach and then you end up with a different coach who may not be better. But... I would be excited about another roll of those dice while Joel Embiid is still this great.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it doesn't have to be one player. You can have something more balanced as you pursue that. Uh, in 2019, for posterity, the 76ers lost to the eventual champion, Raptors.
0: Okay, that's right, bounce, bounce, in, bounce. In
1: a hard-fought seven-game series, uh, I bet the 76ers wish they had Jimmy Butler back.
0: Yeah, one, one, one good thing. But, like, for example, I, I mean... I don't want to get too deep into 24 free agency, but you know, like if, Hmm, I'm trying to think about who would be, who would be that player for them. That would be really, really juicy. Um, I mean, it could even be DeJounte. Like, I don't love the DeJounte, the DeJounte Murray, but like, I mean, it's probably not going to be Jalen Brown. I think he's going to sign an extension. Um, but you know, I, and uh, the other thing is like the Sixers would have the resources that they could theoretically do it through a trade rather than outright free agency.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jalen Brown is, uh, probably more likely to change teams in 2024 than 2023. Yeah. I mean, for
0: personality reasons, a Siakam and Bede Matt, combining would be hilarious <laughs> considering the, I mean, if you had Siakam and Bede and Nurse and be like, am I getting overrun here? But uh, <laughs> but the spacing on that would be a little bit wonky and everything else. But, but again, like they would be in the mix for good players and Joel and Bede's an unbelievable talent. And I think they would, they could draw something involved there. Um, So where I want to end with this kind of ties in with Jalen Brown and James Harden and everything else is I wrote a piece for The Athletic that came out on Thursday um, about the dynamic in 23 that there isn't this like clear cut, you know, headliner if you want to go like Kevin Durant over the years or Kawhi or obviously LeBron when he made the decision and a few other times since. Not only is that the case, but also in part because of some of the flaws of these players and their ages and everything else like there's genuine uncertainty about who of the unrestricted free agents will sign for the most guaranteed money and they use guaranteed money because then you know because some of these might have downside protections for the teams and that's fine um who do you think it's going to be
1: james hart i that's think fair. he's got the le- the leverage from the rockets uh the external leverage he's got a ton of internal leverage with the 76ers because it would be a you know. A- it, very difficult to replace him. Um, as much as I just said I'd love to see Daryl Morey's creativity in that situation, it would require, would require a lot of creativity and probably a step back, which is a dangerous thing to do in Joel Embiid's prime because w- with his uh, health issues, you never know how long his prime's going to last. And beyond that, you just don't want to waste a year of it even if he has a normal length uh, prime. Um. So I I just think Harden has has that combination. Um. Yeah. The hard, Harden's my pick. But I, I I enjoyed your piece, and I I thought there were several viable candidates that that you went over well. Kristaps Porzingis'
0: candidacy does seem weaker with um, Michael Winger getting the job in Washington because he might have the latitude to not let them get leveraged in the way that the Wizards have it. And also, like, I brought this up in the piece, but, like, Porzingis does not have the equity within the organization that Wall and Beal did when they signed their massive deals. Like, that's Mm -hmm. just—it's just not—it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. But what's so weird about Porzingis is there are certain reasons why you could say, oh, man, like, he could definitely have a market. He is— the youngest of all of the real candidates to, he's the youngest on the board. He's the only one where you're getting like real prime years, but also like Harden and Kyrie, both of those guys, their best year, this was Porzingis' best season at the NBA. He still didn't make an all-NBA team. The other guys have have had much better success before and we know the NBA is a star-driven league, not only in terms of like attendance, but also in terms of, you know, winning. And so for Porzingis, the other problem is just, Positional scarcity that mm-hmm. not only in the league more broadly but among the cap space teams more specifically. Like I think the Orlando Magic would love to get a player of Kristaps Porzingis' talent, and if they could do so without sacrificing important things, they would do it. However, that player being seven foot three it doesn't move the needle as much for them as if that player was a dynamic guard. So I I think that his place in it and I I I've gone I am for a lot of this year I thought the guy was gonna be Fred Van Vliet, in part because he doesn't have the baggage that a lot of these guys do. You know, he's a guy who competed on on the Raptors, whatever surrounding talent was there, but Free agency is a lot about falling in love, and you—if you, you don't think that he's going to be that like star—if you think he's more of a complimentary player, that you know does a team go to like even close to his max for that? Maybe I'm not sure. And then the other wild card in this, just speaking more broadly, and and you've of course written about this well, you know it extremely well, is how we factor in bird rights and the new collective bargaining agreement, which has not been fully reduced into writing, but we have a pretty good idea of the contours, and so. Chris Middleton, another player kind of like Van Vliet, who can play everywhere, who can fit in. And he had this weird year with injuries and everything else like that. But the reason why I don't think it's going to be him is because it just gets too tough for Milwaukee. If Milwaukee is the team that pays Chris Middleton enough for him to get the most guaranteed money, I don't know how their books work beyond this. Maybe ownership, including some new ownership, is just willing to spend that. But it would surprise
1: me. I think one of the most under-discussed stories – well, first let me say this. The biggest shocker of this entire podcast is you said the real wild card is – and you didn't say Kyrie Irving. But I think the most under-discussed – one of the most under-discussed things is the Bucks are facing the repeater tax next year
0: yeah didn't you aren't there like you because we haven't talked about this too much publicly how many teams are potentially facing the repeater tax for the first time next year
1: yeah so we've got uh the warriors would be back in it the clippers would finally be in it everybody talks about them as a big spending team but it takes a few years to get up there uh the nets would be in it i i imagine they're going to uh duck out but i thought they would have ducked out this year so you never know uh the lakers would be in it they'll probably be in it um and then the bucks the the bucks would, would be in it and i think if there's Trying to win around Giannis, they're they're probably going to be in the tax too. So I, I think. I, I, the reason I'd go against Chris Middleton is, is, I think what you're saying is the Bucks. I do think he'll resign with the Bucks, though he might not. But I think the Bucks have a lot of incentive to negotiate hard on this, not just to say, "Hey, we value you; we'll give you the max." Like we want to show we appreciate you, because sometimes that's how it goes. Uh, I think there's a lot of incentive to try and save every dollar. And I also, uh, if I'm remembering right, there was a previous contract where it seemed like Chris Middleton could have gotten the max and took slightly less to stay with the Bucks. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it's just a harder negotiation from the Bucks' side and a softer negotiation from Middleton's side. And he still gets a lot of money, um, but maybe not quite as much as he could.
0: Are there any other Middleton suitors that you find especially compelling?
1: Uh, I mean, Houston, Detroit um i mean i don't know if i find them particularly compelling they're just there i'll, I'll tell you um one free agency uh, kelly eco wrote about the the rockets uh targets and he put brooke lopez on there and i hadn't really thought about brooke lopez to the rockets but like wow what would the Bucks like i think they're probably game planning in for having to pay middleton a lot of money but what would they do if brooke lopez gets a giant offer and, like, maybe Brook Lopez would take less to stay in Milwaukee, right? He's going to be on the winner of the team he, he knows and is comfortable with. I don't think necessarily the Bucs are to pay him the most money. Uh, but they probably got to come close at least. And what if he gets – like, what the Rockets are just like, we want to be better now. We've got this money to spend. Brook Lopez, I think, is still a very underrated player. What if what if he's just paid, like, I know you like him too. Uh, I, I I think you'd agree with me that he's underrated. What what will the Bucs do if a team offers uh, Brook Lopez what you and I think he's worth?
0: it would be a problem i mean like so let's say houston throws 20 million a year even if it's for two or three years at him higher higher yeah yeah it's very I, possible I,
1: I mean what if if the bucks kept him for 20 million a year when you say yep got to do it like that that's not a, I oh i mean, would like, but based, the based the, on based on how we value him sure you and i about like let's say 26 million a year <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: that that overall bill for milwaukee gets ridiculous and and there's all i mean another factor in all of this is these players you when you hit free agency and I've never explicitly talked with the player about it I need somebody who is really open with their emotions to discuss this about with his I think you reevaluate Ben Golliver and I' have discussed it as basketball mortality but you can also think about it in a bunch of different ways you evaluate your options really differently when it's actually in front of you and that could lead to you being like i and I think this is my theory is this is what's going to happen with Brooke, is I'm happy here I haven't been happy everywhere so why do, why, why am I going to worry about Five ten million when I'm making plenty, but it can go the other way. Of I'm excited for a new opportunity. I'm excited to see what this is. And for me, one of the most prominent with that tying back to a team we discussed at the very beginning of the podcast was Paul Millsap with Denver. Like, or you yeah. could go with Jeremy Grant in Detroit leaving Denver. Yeah. Like, both of those. And I don't think that's the case. Because especially like the Bucks are still a very good team and I don't think players generally worry about, oh, well, how good are we going to be three years from now? You worry about how, how good you are now because who knows if you're going to be – even if you sign a four-year contract, who knows if you're going to be in your place three years from now. So
1: Yeah, I, I guess I, – I, I don't know if you mean the same thing, I but I, I think a lot of times when a player decides where to sign, it's a snapshot of how he's feeling in a, at the moment and I'm not sure they're always like – um, you know, thinking through what that's going to mean, because a lot of times you think like, well, I'm here, you know, like the NBA a player sure. supremely confident, like we're not going to lose a lot like I'm here. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to kind of think like, OK, I'm probably taking a step back by going from a team like the Bucks to the Rockets. Um, I think well, it's not uncommon for us to see somebody sign for a lot of money with a a team that clearly looked like it was going to be uh, a downgrade in team quality and then the player finding out actually living day-to-day uh, of being on a bad team uh finding it far more miserable than he expected
0: very possible and hard and potentially could be but i think Harden, having the ball in his hands all the time he might just be happy with that like yeah that, that,
1: he, know he i think he knows a little bit more of what he's getting he's but yeah he also would very much fall into the well i'm here now category too so <laughs>
0: he, he definitely would um and yeah we should definitely talk about kyrie irving here and an element of the Kyrie Irving story that is so different from a lot of these is, you know, very talented guy has, there are some foibles, like, I mean, I, I talked about this a little bit, like, how, not this pre, this year was hard to evaluate, because he changed teams and everything else, but, like, there were some of those Nets teams where, when he was the, the sole creator, their offense wasn't actually great, but he's still a dynamic talent, has still had some real high highs. My, so there are two elements that feed together. One of them is, I've said before that if I were running a team, I would not be in the Kyrie, Kyrie Irving business, personally. I, yeah, if he wants to take the minimum, sure, like, I would be in it, but outside of that, it's, I just, I just don't want to do it. Like, if I, end and, and that is a real sacrifice and I'm an aggressive pragmatist just I that's how that's how I am with him and really honestly among players like there aren't that many other guys like that what teams if any actually feel that way what teams take themselves out of consideration and that matters because of the internal versus external leverage with Irving so there is obviously leverage when it comes to the Lakers because, and Irvin can credibly say this because he has taken less in the past, that the Lakers can't offer what the Mavericks can. That's there. there's no credible way to argue any differently. Um, that he would be willing to take less, but then the question becomes, like, as Dallas, how credible do you find that threat? Not because, like, so, so the way you phrase this, it, not because like that's you know an, an invalid threat, it's oh, so if it's 12 million different, you would do it, but if it's 8 million different, then you, would, then you would stay? Like, that is a weird... It's a weird negotiating tactic. And the reason that matters is because if nobody else is firmly in the mix, like, it affects the final number, and, of course, it affects his destination.
1: Yes. Um, I'm curious how creative... The Mavericks would be on his contract I I think the weird thing is almost everybody accepts like oh yeah you get just because out of respect of who he is and uh, his name and what he's accomplished and his obviously insanely high talent level there just seems to be like a common understanding he's a max player now he could accept less to go to the Lakers um, but then he's got to get like every last dollar available which probably makes sense at the point of what every last reasonable dollar is available to the Lakers but uh, the sense I guess is just like okay you got to start with the max and then you can kind of work from there to me if that really is the case if i'm the uh mavericks i'd probably be offering something where it's um and this is why i didn't have him at the top of my prediction for most guaranteed money but maybe it's like a rolling guarantee based on how many games he played the previous year and you can make that a pretty low threshold right you're just trying to avoid some disaster and uh yeah, just, just make it like you could even push for, like, look, we'll give you the five year deal, but only one year is going to be guaranteed, and you got to play, uh, I don't know, 50 games in the year prior, and then the next year is guaranteed. Like, it doesn't have to be anything ridiculous, and um, you know, you, you can frame it away of like I'm, we're not trying to insult you or anything. We just got to protect ourselves a little bit, and we expect you to play 50 games, and we expect you to play out this contract, and this is not, you know, it, it's not some benchmarks where, where Kyrie Irving can mostly do the right things and still fail. Like, if he's doing the right things, he, he's going to get it all guaranteed.
0: It's also, like, along those lines, how does Kyrie Irving and his representation, how do they feel about assessing risk? Is it, you know, is like that? Does he say, oh, I'm obviously going to play 25 games? Like, that's not that's not a danger. Like, I can do this moving forward. Or if a team right. like the Lakers or let's say the Orlando Magic, like, Kyrie Irving would— fundamentally changed the Orlando magic. Like they could give them an offensive bowl. Like if, if they, if all they did was like clear the salary necessary to pay him, whether it's the max or less than the max, I think they're a pretty, I think they have a pretty good shot of making the playoffs next year, potentially even being a little, making a little bit of noise depending on where things, I mean, the top of the East is very strong. Um, But are they interested at all? And are they, and, and where, where do they see all these things? And so he's, he's the hardest to predict for so many reasons. Also Irving, I, he, it, it, Falls by the wayside a little bit. Like it's everybody knows that he's left so many situations. But like one of the elements that makes Kyrie Irving fundamentally different is he's left situations where at least the team was competitive basically every time. Like this was, you know, like he made his way out of Cleveland. He made his way out of Boston and Brooklyn. It gets complicated in terms of I mean, they were both pushing each other out the door kind of in some ways. Um, Or like the Nets were pushing him and he was not pushing back. Um, And all of those teams at least had a conceptual championship argument. But he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been like had the freedom of choice in a while. What does he value? And how does he evaluate these Mavericks? Because they had a weird segment of the season where he was there. And Luca' a great talent, and they have you know they have a coach who was a former point guard and everything else. And so we will learn a lot. Let's put it that way.
1: My rooting interest is that he leaves one because the chaos would be fun. And two, because he says this is a team with a losing culture that tanked, and I don't stand for that. <laughs> it's possible. I- I don't want that reward. I want that punished. I hate that. I, I understand it might have been the right choice. I hate that it might have been the right choice. Um, Yeah, a- anything anybody wants to do to uh, make the Mavericks regret that, I'm all for.
0: Anything else you want to discuss? That's good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work and often listen to it as well with the Daily Dunks and Audio Daily Dunks that are part of Dunked on Prime. He does such excellent work. And Dan has a much better... Savvy, And I guess you could say bandwidth for going through especially the text stuff. So like I actually generally a lot of what I read is from what he puts together for the Daily Dunks. He does such a great job there of what is newsworthy and what is worth reading. You can also follow him on Twitter. At Dan Feldman NBA, D-A-N-F-E-L-D-M-A-N-N-B-A. If you want to support Real GM Radio, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode, whatever podcast player you use, Apple, Spotify, wherever, really appreciate it. it can also help other people find the show. That can be word of mouth, social media, or leaving a rating and review in the podcast player you're choosing. But the most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors. For us, that is FanDuel, fanduel.com slash boston. And you get that no sweat first bet up to $1,000. Of course, talked about that earlier. You can also check out my other work. As mentioned, Dan is a part of the Dunked On Prime family as well. Nate and I are going strong not only with our breakdowns of the games, but also offseason previews and draft prospect scouts and then all the other benefits for Dunked On Prime, including Dan's Daily Dunks, Seth Partnows, Nerd Noshes, the pods John does or Nate does with John Hollinger, and... Discord chats, a lot of other cool stuff. So hopefully you can check it out. We're actually doing a sale in honor of the mock-up season, which is, of course, coming later on in June. You can also check out my other work. As Dan and I discussed, I have a new piece out at The Athletic talking about free agency. I'll continue to, to do things throughout this window, either collaboratively, like I did a piece with Tim Kawakami on the Warriors, or solo. Also, Nate and I are going to be doing, let's say, every planned game for the NBA Finals on playback, which has been great. You can check that out. We tweeted out pretty consistently. It's a great way to watch a little bit more constrained right now for American viewers due to um, the working through some stuff with the NBA license, but at least you can sync up, but there are other, other ways you can check it out. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. And my replies aren't always the greatest. I'm This is a very busy time for me in so many ways. And I, I love a lot of this. I mean, it's the finals and draft scouting and working through off-season prep and everything else like that. But it is a very busy one. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.